Hey, welcome back to the ENC Leadership Podcast. And we are still on leading in anxious times. And today we're going to do um, some application about these concepts. We've taken the time to build them, to, to add them to one another. And now we're going to try to apply them. And this is really where the rubber meets the road, I've found. Um, for me personally, we've been grappling with these things. I've been honest with you about how I'm dealing with it. And sometimes uh, I can see it, like we said, the expression they have in the book, The Leader's Journey, is in the rearview mirror. I look back and I think, oh gosh, that was the wrong response. But at least you know now. At least alam natin, diba? And um, sometimes I'm able to, to catch it. Sometimes I've got a crossroads in front of me or a fork in the road. And I think, okay, which is the non-anxious response here? And I'm still not sure. And so I've consulted with friends. I've called people up. Uh, and I said, hey, you know I'm wrestling with this thing. Can you process this with me? So, yeah, go. If that's you and that's where you are, you're figuring this out, you're making mistakes, that's fine. Uh, as long as you keep practicing and keep applying and you stay in community, you're going to get better at this. Um, some uh, quick overview or review before we get to the application for today. We've talked about the overview with the interview with Pastor Seth Trimmer. Um, in fact, some of you after listening to these later episodes, might want to go back to that one and see, can you make more sense of it now? Because you understand these building blocks. We looked at three specific building blocks, uh, the leader's emotions, the leader's responsibility, and the leader's relationships. We told, uh, we gave uh, um, a picture of how each of these are essential and understanding them together is essential to understanding this way of leading, this calm way of leading called family systems theory. We also looked at uh, emotional triangles, which are uh, a subset in the leader's relationships. And it's basically when things are healthy, they're great. But when they're unhealthy, when there's anxiety, when there's conflict, that's where we see it manifesting. And then the last two episodes were about becoming a calm leader, about becoming the kind of calm leader we want to be. And we looked at practices we can get to, to uh, fight the anxiety we have, to trust in God and become even more calm. And now we're going to get into application because... This isn't just some kind of self-calming meditative technique, you know. We're looking at application and leadership. I mean, what's the point in becoming that calm leader if we're not going to use it to lead well? And like we said in episode 10, it's easy to fake being calm. Uh, the book points that out, but still be driven by anxiety. But there comes a time when even though we can fake it, that that truth will come out and will be exposed. And it's in those moments that calm, non-anxious compassionate but decisive leadership rises to the top. And that's what this whole thing has been for. That's what we're building up for. So these two specific applications we'll discuss are calm leadership in crisis and in next week, calm leadership in conflicts. So let's start with calm leadership in crisis. Uh, the leader's journey defines a crisis as an unstable or crucial time or state of affairs in which a decisive change is impending. It is a time when the future for an individual, family, or organization is called into question or threatened. Wow! I remember reading this and thinking, when was this written? Was this written during the pandemic? No, actually, it wasn't. But honestly, we at ENC and ENC leaders, we are so grateful for this book. It couldn't have come at a better time. You couldn't be listening to this podcast at a better time because that totally describes what we're going through right now. Unstable, crucial times. Decisive changes impending. The future 
questioned and threatened. And that's why we need to apply this calm leadership, especially now. And we're going to be integrating the building blocks we've been discussing. And if you've been following along, you're going to know already that calm leadership requires us to see things differently. We have to see things differently. We have a new way of thinking. We reject simplistic answers like, oh, it's only those people who are at fault. If only they'll change. Part of doing that is realizing the complexity of the problem. Re realizing the complexity of the problem means rejecting quick fix solutions. And we also realize that while we reject quick fix solutions, while the problem is complex, we also realize the amazing power we have to influence the entire system if we will start the change in ourselves. What does calm leadership in crisis look like? And these are points I've derived from the book, but I've kind of lumped them together uh, in, in, into my own kind of outline and just combine two different sections, okay? So while you won't get these exact quotes, uh, points in the book, they're pretty much the same uh, thing from the book. So the first one is take responsibility for yourself. In a crisis, what calm leaders do first is take responsibility for themselves. That looks like, number one, managing your anxiety. Let me read this quote from the book. During a crisis, leaders need to make sure need to make an extra effort to calm ourselves so that we can respond rather than react to the crisis. See, the anxiety will be so loud around you. The unbelief will be so prevalent. The cries, the urge to either join together uh, unthinkingly or break from one another unthinkingly will be so strong. And here's the thing. Because it's a crisis, we're just as affected. Like right now, we're in the shelter in, we're in the quarantine, we're afraid for the pandemic, we're waiting in line at the grocery. And because we're affected, we, 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 we will feel the, the pressure that everybody else is feeling. And the question is, will you be pressured into making a decision that you don't really want to do, that God's not really calling you to? Or will you resist? Will you remain self-differentiated? That's a concept we brought up in episode 7, the leader's responsibility. Focus on yourself. Manage your own anxiety. See, so many leaders want to make a move and, oh, I got to do this, I got to do that. Not realizing, wait, I'm just as anxious as the people I'm leading. That's not what they need from me. That's not what they need from you at this time. Taking responsibility for yourself means managing my anxiety and doing my part more than blaming others. Blaming others, as we've seen over and over again in this way of thinking, is not the leadership response. Because you can't control their behavior. You're not responsible for their behavior. You have to do your part. Now, baka may philosopher dito, mas kasabi, eh, what if doing my, what if it is my part to blame others? <laughs> it's not, okay? It's not your part to blame others. There's other things that God's calling you to do also. And here's the thing. When you do that, it won't be a popular decision. But that's what leadership is for. Someone has to go first. The leader is the one who goes first. The, the book, uh, Jim Harrington and Trisha Taylor, they say the leader in crisis is the one with the courage to define self, who is as invested in the welfare of the family as in the self, who is neither angry nor dogmatic, whose energy goes into changing self rather than telling others what they should do who can know and respect the multiple opinions of others, who can modify self in response to the strengths of the group, 
and who is not influenced by the irresponsible opinions of others. Man, that quote is so rich. You can get the whole thing on encladers.ph and the show notes there. Uh, and again, this is another one of those almost prophetic quotes. You're like, how did this person know how we would be responding in a pandemic? It's not the pandemic. It's not because of COVID-19. It's because when people are in the grip of anxiety, in the middle of a crisis, we fall into predictable patterns. And knowing that, the calm leader, the wise leader, the leader the world needs at this time can recognize that. Let's look at the aspects of that quote. I want to highlight a few of them. Number one, defining self takes courage. It says with the courage to define self. It doesn't take more knowledge. It doesn't take more expertise. It requires courage and willingness to step out. Secondly, the other thing I want to highlight, they said is this kind of leader is neither angry nor dogmatic. Because everybody else is already anxious. Your anxious response does nothing to decrease the anxiety in the equation. In fact, it will only add to it, which prevents us from responding in compassion, prevents us from responding in creativity, prevents us from responding in innovation to help weather the crisis. Neither angry nor dogmatic. Here's what it, the other part there, and this was very convicting for me, whose energy goes into changing self rather than telling others what they should do. And get this, I'm a pastor. I sometimes think that it's my job to tell people what to do for a living. <laughs> but that's not as effective as changing myself. If you're getting any value from this, from this whole uh, family systems, this leader's journey, if there's any value, then first of all, the glory goes to God and we say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you're using me in this podcast to be able to help these people. But really, if there's any value to you, more than just me repeating the book, it's because God's used this book to change my life. And this change in my own life that my wife, that my sons can see, that my family can see, that is what's valuable. And that actually, if there's any, is able to produce value for you. We have to put more of our energy into changing ourselves rather than telling others what they should do. Christians, if we're angry at sin in the world, but we're not as angry about that sin in our own hearts, then that's self-righteousness. That's hypocrisy. Quite simply. And I get very angry also. I get very frustrated also. But I have to remember, Lord, what are you doing in me? I don't, want to call, I don't want to call out a speck in somebody else's eye and not see the plank in my own eye, as Jesus said. What else does this leader do that has the courage to define self, neither angry nor dogmatic, puts more energy into changing self rather than telling others what to do? Number four, can know and respect, in that quote, can know and respect multiple opinions. That's just the essential thing of a society, of a team, of a family. There's going to be a multiplicity of opinions. Now, some people need to be corrected and some people are going to be wrong, but that doesn't mean everyone's wrong. There's going to be a degree of variation for any society. It can't be just the same thing. And what do we do with irresponsible opinions? Here's what he said. To not be influenced by the irresponsible opinions of others. You know what to listen to. 
you know what to discard. Some of you might say, well, what, what, why focus on myself? Here's what happens. As one leader after another, this is in the book, as one leader after another finds the courage to respond differently out of differentiation of self, bit by bit, portions of society stand a chance of functioning at a higher level. Bit by bit, it'll happen. People will rise up one by one because someone led the way. In a crisis, take responsibility for yourself. Number two, get clarity. Get clarity immediately. Get clarity on what? Number one, on the facts. See, the facts are hard to get nowadays, but they're important. In a crisis, there's high emotionalism, high anxiety, high anger, high division. What's more, not only is that already high in a crisis, there are all kinds of forces who want to feed into that chaos, who want to feed into that uh, confusion even more. For the sake of popularity, for the sake of views, for the sake of clicks, for the sake of you always looking at them, they will feed that fire. They will. All kinds of media outlets, mainstream and social media outlets want to do that to you right now. And calm leaders who will lead their team safely through crisis know that they need to get to the facts beneath the shouting. Get clarity on the facts. Now, let me give a very, very important caveat uh, on this, a very, very, very important balance or warning even to this. Because in the quest to get more facts, we can be paralyzed by a desire and over-dependence on data. Uh, in fact, Edwin Friedman, in Failure of Nerve, which is one of the most influential books, even before the leader's journey about this, he describes this need for more data as really another manifestation of anxiety. We want to be sure, we delay the decision, we abdicate responsibility, and more so because when we get it wrong, we can blame the data. We can blame the survey, the information, the, the all of the studies. That's not what you need. So yes, absolutely get clarity on facts, but don't let that paralyze you. Because more than the facts, what you want to get clarity on are your own thoughts, beliefs, and principles about the facts, about the reality. You want to get clarity. Okay, those are the facts, but what do I want to do about that? What is God telling me to do about that? What am I responsible for given this situation? What is this? Episode 7. Self-differentiation again. What do I really believe about this? Let me, let me give you a, a case study, an example of this. Right now in the Philippines, there's, there's a lot of uproar about posting on social media in response to issues that are plaguing the country. It's a long story and I want to get into the nuts and bolts of it. But for me personally, I realized that whenever I get a call like that, I have to clarify my own position about these things. What does Joe believe about this? What is my conscience telling me about this? What do I think God is telling me? Get clarity on that. Not asking first, what is everybody else doing? What does everybody else want me to do? Or even, what is my organization's stand on this? What is Victories or Every Nation Campus' stand on? Those questions are important. But going there first without getting clarity for myself robs you of the self-differentiation you have as a leader. You have to get clarity on what God's telling you to do. And that's why I love this way of leading. 
Because in every nation, we believe in leadership development. I love leadership development. I want more people to act like leaders. And that's why I want all of the staff of every nation, all of our student leaders, all of our alumni in ENC to receive this way of leading. Because when we do this, we'll have leaders in different levels who are thinking, thinking for themselves, listening to God and hearing His call for them at this time. It won't all look the same because that's not how God calls people. We have different callings. We have different responses. But as long as I know you're hearing from God, oh man, it's going to be a great thing. What is God telling you to do? I'm not saying to be stubborn, all right, to be uncorrectable or to be arrogant, okay? That's not the choice here. Again, no to false dichotomies, please, okay? This isn't a choice between being a mindless lackey or or sycophant. No, wala akong choice. Kailangan akong gawin sinasabi nila. Or that or becoming an arrogant dictator. Those aren't the two choices. There is a way in the middle there, maybe not in the middle, but a totally different way there, so even as I apply that to myself, I, I hear the call to respond. I see people responding. I'm wondering, God, are you telling me to respond right now? I pray about it. And even as I prayed and heard God for myself, I bounce these ideas off with other people. And I listen to their thoughts. And when you hear other people tell you your thoughts, when you bounce off with people because you're in connection with them, we don't process these things as your thoughts, your opinions versus my opinions. If we see it that way, your thoughts versus my thoughts, then we have only two choices. No, I reject your thoughts. You are oppressing me uh, and you're trying to limit my own response. Or fine, I receive your thoughts. I give up my own opinion. I give up my own position and let's just do it your way. The, 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 The first way is an unnecessarily divisive way. The second way is a cowardly way. Because you're just saying, fine, fine, let's just do what you say, but I don't really have my heart in it, but I'll go because you gusto mo. How many times have you heard that said? How many times have you been frustrated with a conversation that ended that way? Why? Because there was no real understanding. There was no real coming together. It was someone just abdicating their own responsibility and throwing it to you. Cop out. Cowardly. Non-leader. Response. How should we process other people's thoughts? When people say this to us, what we should be thinking is, is this God speaking to me through this other person? Is this wisdom? Is this truth? Do I bear witness with this? That way, if we reject it, it's not because we don't like the other person, but because it's not consistent with what God's speaking to me. Or if we receive it, it's not because we're giving up our responsibility to think for ourselves and lead, but because we realize Oh, this is what God is telling me. God is talking to me through this person. My point is, get clarity on your thoughts, your principles, your beliefs, what God is telling you about this. If we aren't clear about our own principles and beliefs, then even if we give in to what other people say, this will come back to bite us. In the book, The Leader's Journey, here's a quote where they say, if these beliefs, if those beliefs are not truly ours, invoking them is likely to be another emotional reaction to the anxiety of the moment. It may come from a good intention to to please other people, but there's also the hidden intention of not wanting to pay the price of leadership. 
it will come through that, but really, even that good intention will not really solve the problem. As that famous quote goes, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. That's not in the Bible, by the way, okay? My point is, get clarity. About the facts, yes, but especially about your own principles at this time. In crisis, leaders take responsibility for themselves. They get clarity about the facts and their own position from God based on those facts. And thirdly, calm leaders in crisis keep the mission in focus. What is your mission? What are you here for? What is this team that you are leading here for? Because crisis threatens so much and so much is at risk, so much is at stake, leaders often feel the need to defend all the fronts. But when we remember our mission, that's when we realize some things are more important to defend than others. Some things, it would be painful, it would be tragic, it would be difficult, but it won't kill us. It won't violate our mission to lose them. However, there are other things that to lose them would be a violation of the very call of God on your life. Do you know what those things are? What's your mission? What's the most important thing to do? What numbers and statistics matter the most to you right now? Which news story should you be paying the most attention to? If it's a business, it's your ability to deliver the goods or services that you've promised to the world. And in so doing, you receive the financial value of your offering so that you can continue operating. That's your mission. That's most important. Changing strategies, changing uh, 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 structures, all of these things are not the most important things. I feel like sometimes though, and, and I could be wrong, I was, I was never a businessman, but I got to observe a lot from friends and especially from my family members, my dad and my brothers. But I feel like in business, it's a little easier. In ministry, sometimes we are, we sometimes struggle with this in knowing what our mission is. And we'll discuss that in another podcast about the challenge for that in ministry. And that's why I'm grateful for every nation that we have a very clear mission. We don't always get it right. We often get it wrong, in fact. But when in times of crisis, we know what the basis is for making decisions because we know our mission. They quote this, this uh, other author in the book, uh, The Leader's Journey, uh, and this person says, the mission trumps always, every time. That just means it like overrides in every conflict. Not the pastor, not the members of the church who pay the bills, not those who scream the loudest or who are most in pain. In a healthy Christian ministry, the mission wins every argument. This almost seems heartless, doesn't it? It almost feels bad to not focus the most on those who are screaming the loudest or those who are most in pain. But see, that's not what God has gathered us around for. Now, maybe that is what your organization is for. You know, my organization is built around listening to whoever screams the loudest. Then fine, and then that's your mission. But that's not my mission in ENC. And not everyone's going to like that. And sure enough, uh, they point that out in the book that staying true to mission will not always be popular. Uh, they give the story of a crisis uh, that they observed uh, and they experienced. And it's, it's a long story. You've got to read the book for yourself. There's lots of stories I'm not able to say there where they're able to flesh these out. But they said, often leaders make decisions intended to calm the anxiety rather than to stay true to the mission. Uh, Ouch. 
How are you doing that now? Prolonging the delay because we're just trying to calm the anxiety and honestly keep ourselves from bearing the brunt of other people's anxious responses rather than being true to the mission that God has put us on. The quote continues, as Bay Point's story illustrates, that was the illustration of the example of a crisis that they had to help people lead through. As Bay Point's story illustrates, clear mission both unites and divides. A clearly stated mission will unite. For those for whom God is saying the same thing, they will be galvanized by that mission and they will say, yes, that bears witness to what God is saying in my heart. And for those for whom that's not, what they're hearing from God at this point, it'll divide them. And that's a painful thing to have to go through on top of a crisis. <laughs> but honestly, overall, it's a good thing. Because those who follow you are with you on this mission. And those who break with you over this just have a different mission they're on. And you would just have gotten in each other's way. Stay on mission. Stay on God's call. See, as Christians, we also have to remember that God's call isn't just what we do, isn't just our ministry or our vocation. It's how we live. It's how we relate with Him. That's a part of the mission. That's a part of the call of God. In this case, staying on mission then includes nurturing our relationship with God and walking in step with Him. That's just as important, if not more important, than what we're doing. In the leader's journey, the authors, Jim and Trisha, they describe how a lot of the anxiety, a lot of the unbelief, a lot of the conflict, a lot of what we experience that makes it hard to lead are fruits of, and this is the quote, of the irresponsible and consumptive lifestyles that people have. Irresponsible and consumptive lifestyles. Meaning, you want to be part of God's mission. You want to lead calmly, but you're not obeying the fullness of God's call, which first starts with a relationship with Him. No wonder you can't lead calmly. <laughs> That's my story. This is what brought me to this theory. I was living an unsustainable, undifferentiated, overworked, often anxious life. I was generally faking calmness, but inwardly there would be cracks and I would take out my frustration on my wife. I would take out my frustration on our son. I would take out my frustration on myself. This was my lifestyle. And what had to happen? Seth had to come <laughs> and correct me and we had a great talk and I had to hear God's call again. I didn't say, well, I'll just do what Seth said. I won't do what other people God was speaking to me through him and Pastor Greg when they came in. I heard it. I had to listen to God's call, not to be a campus missionary or a pastor, but to be in relationship with Him as a son of God, as part of His family, to be in step with Him. For me, that meant to slow down. And slowing down was not a departure from my mission because my mission is to be on mission with Him. We need this. You want to go about God's mission? Go back to what He's calling you for. For many of us, this is especially true even now. Our anxiety comes from the fact that we are not practicing the, the ancient, tried and tested spiritual disciplines of solitude, of meditating on God's Word, of fellowship, of community. 
And then we wonder, why am I so easily affected? Why am I easily so upset? Why does this person trigger me so quickly? Hear God's call again. For many of us, our anxiety comes from social media. That irresponsible, consumptive lifestyle, to quote the book, of consuming information and in the process, other people's anxieties too. How can this be a part of God's call for you and for me? Some of you need to stop and say, Lord, what are you calling me to do right now? Right now. There's a great book called uh, The Life You've Always Wanted. I cannot emphasize it enough. It's an amazing book. I love that book. Helped me so much also. And I love that book because it challenges me to check myself. and like, Lord, am I still living the way you want me to? Even today, you know, uh, today was a pretty stressful day. We found out that, uh, just personal anecdote, our flight home got canceled. I found out like uh, 2 a.m. Uh, this morning. Um, we hadn't packed yet, thankfully. And also I'm thinking, oh gosh, I'm going to be here longer. I'm going to be living out of a suitcase uh, in the U.S. longer. I don't even know anymore when I'll be able to come home. Is it weeks? Is it months away? So I have to buy groceries here. And while I'm doing that, my wife's having challenges with one of our kids. And so I could feel the stress and the tension as I was preparing to record this podcast. And so I sat down and just before every episode, I sit down and I pray and I say, Lord Jesus, help me. And as I did that, I felt simply, don't do it yet. Don't do it yet. Pay attention to what you're feeling and what's going on in your heart right now. And so I sat there and I thought, Lord, what is, what is going on in my heart? And I prayed. And I said, Lord, I'm, I'm stressed. I'm stressed for myself personally. I'm stressed for my family, that my wife has this stress, that my sons have this stress. I'm stressed for our relatives here, that they have to think about us. I'm stressed for my nation. Lord, what is going on? What's the plan? And I heard God's call. Usap muna tayo. record. And so I did. And I'm so thankful for, for our movement, for Victory Worship, for that awit ng bayan song. And I'm so glad that it features celebrities and musicians and worship leaders from so many different movements. Many of them I know, some of them I've never heard of. But I was so happy that it wasn't about victory or every nation, but the glory going to Jesus. I began to worship. And as I got moved by that, I could feel myself believing God. That's what anxiety is, guys. As Pastor Greg Mitchell said, if you'll remember the quote that uh, Seth Trimmer said in episode 5, anxiety is what unbelief feels like. And you know what? The call is always the same. It's not, ay, nako, unbeliever ka talaga. No, the call is, halika, makinig ka, lumapit ka. Makikita mo na marami ka talagang pwedeng paniwalaan dito. You will not be let down. I worshipped, I worshipped. That was amazing. After that six-minute video, uh, I was about to record and I heard my wife uh, having tension with one of our sons. I got up, helped them with it, and I realized, Lord, not only did that delay help me, it put me in a position to respond to my wife and to respond to our son. If I had been recording in the middle of that, 
to now just got have gotten more frustrated. Can't you imagine how hard it is to record and now you're fighting? And I know because I've done stuff like that before. Yun, that was God's call for me at this time. What is God calling for you to do? In times of crisis, keep the mission in focus. So that's the three points. What do calm leaders do in crisis? Number one, take responsibility for yourself. Number two, get clarity on the facts and on your position on those facts. And, and number three, um, keep the mission in focus. Now, I'm not saying that this will cause the crisis to blow over, okay? But it does put you in a position to figure it out. No quick fixes, remember? But you'll be able to lead. And the people around us will receive life from your ability to lead. Number one, take responsibility for yourself, your emotions, your faith, manage your anxiety, your obedience, your call, your team first over blaming others. Number two, get clarity of the facts, whatever you have available, but especially get clarity on your own principles and convictions about it. And number three, keep the mission in focus. What's God calling you to do and how is God calling you to be? This couldn't have come at a better time. We are in a crisis now globally and i pray that as we apply these lessons we'll start leading wherever we are let me read that quote again from point number one as one leader after another finds the courage to respond differently out of differentiation of self bit by bit portions of society stand a chance of functioning at a higher level you can do your part today so that's it next week we'll talk about calm leadership in <laughs> an even juicier topic in times of conflict uh and please don't get please hear me and go back to episode one of this podcast you need the community that you're talking to about this if you need the help finding that community uh, you can contact us on enc leaders on facebook the facebook group or on encleaders.ph the website if you want to contact me personally send me a message on instagram at, at campus joe god bless you and i pray that you will be able to apply this and be a calm leader, even in the midst of this global crisis. God bless you.